0: Let's do this. Let's declare this together. Let's do it in faith. Believe this with me, would you? Lord, today by faith, we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and He has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and a wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Would you stay standing? Luke 5, 17 through 26. Luke 5. 17 through 26, and this is what it says. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law setting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed, a man which was taken with palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by that by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling and his couch with his couch into the midst before Jesus and when he saw their faith he said unto them man thy sins are forgiven thee and the t- and the scribes and the pharisees began to reason saying who is this which speaketh blasphemies who can forgive sins but god alone But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he was answering said unto them, what reason in your hearts? Whether it's easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to rise up and walk, but that ye may know that the son of man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and he took up. That whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things. Today. Let us pray. God, you are powerful and you are here. You are awesome. And we pray, God, your will be done. We pray your word go forth and it accomplish what you have to accomplish, Lord. Anoint our pastor day as he brings this word, God, and let our ears be open to hear what you have to say. We speak harvest in poplar bluff. We claim, Lord, that the laborers are going out, and we're gonna see, Lord, multiplication in the kingdom of God. Your kingdom done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We speak that today in the name of Jesus. Amen. You
1: Praise the oh. Lord. No.
0: <laughs> Hallelujah. Can
1: you say amen? amen? What a beautiful congregation here this morning. We're going to get into the word of the Lord. And I was feeling sorry for Bud Middleton. I heard a story about him here this week. And How many of you have ever had just embarrassing moments in your life or letdowns in your life? Have you ever had anything like that? I was told that brother Bud was traveling a week or so ago with a Hindu and a and a Jewish rabbi and they were traveling down the road and their car broke down and they were out in the middle of nowhere. And they walked and they walked and it became way up in the middle of the night. And they finally come to a farmhouse out in the middle of nowhere. And they knocked on the door, and a polite gentleman came to the door and said, "What? What's, how can I help you?" He said, "Our car is broke down, and we need some help." He said, "Well, there's nothing open in this little old rural area. Take about thirty minutes to get to town by car, and there's nothing open there. So you can spend the night, and in the morning we'll get up and we'll try to get your car fixed." And they all agreed to that. And he said, "But the only problem of it is, I've only got room for two of you in my house. One of you is have to sleep in the barn." And the Jewish rabbi said, man, I'll, I'll sleep in the barn. That's no problem. And so but and the Hindu guy walks in. They get comfortable in their beds. And all of a sudden, a door knocked. Uh, the a knock was on the door. And the Jewish rabbi said, you know, I can't stay out in that barn. There's a pig out there. And that defiles me. I can't do it. I said, no problem. The Hindu said, "I'll take I'll take it. You come on in here and lay down. And I'll go out. And I'll sleep in the barn. So the Hindu went out there. And a few moments later, a knock was on the door. And the Hindu guy said, you know, I can't stay out there. There's a cow out there, and that, I can't do that as a Hindu. That would desecrate me. So Bud said, hey, look, man, the perfect thing for me to do is to go out and spend the night in the barn. So he went out, and he spent the night in the barn, and the next thing you know, you hear a knock on the door, and they open up, and there's the pig and the cow. <laughs> Amen. I love you, Bud. Would somebody put their arm around Bud and comfort him for that bad experience he had? Hallelujah. You know, as you know, the month of September has been devoted to uh, evangelism, witnessing so winning and anything else that has been tied to the harvest. We have called this the Harvest 573 because 573 being our air code and it's our area of influence. Our influence is more than just Butler County, our influence is Stoddard County, our influence is Bollinger County, our influence is Carter County, Wayne County, Clay County, you go on, Ripley County. We're all connected here together and we're drawing people from all over the place here at the Palace of Praise. And we really believe that this is a manifestation season And I'm not just saying that, just to be saying that this is a time when God is going to manifest his power like never before. We have had prophetic word over our church for years and we have talked about Isaiah in 60 that in the time of gross darkness that we are to rise and shine for the light has come. And we talked about how that from afar off our daughters shall come and be nursed at our right sides and our sons shall come in and get saved and kings shall come to our rising. all of that, Isaiah chapter 60, that's been a prophetic word. And I believe that right now that we're beginning to experience it. How many can say amen? That we're in the time of a manifestation season from the presence of the Lord. And I really believe that this is the last time or the last harvest before the second coming of Jesus Christ. I believe that God's going to do a work. He's going to do it fast. We have but a short time. And then Jesus is going to split the eastern sky and come and get his church and take us home. How many believe that with me? If you believe that, give the Lord a shout of praise here in this house. Hallelujah. Yes, we're living in a manifestation season. You know, we see prior to our text, according to the Gospel of Mark, concerning this event, that Jesus was in action, and he was ministering to the people all around the region of Galilee and Judea. And we see that Jesus' compassion on them was not seen so much in his teaching, but it was seen more within his actions. And can I tell you that Jesus' actions spoke louder than his words. I want to tell you, he didn't just sit around and talk about it, he done done it. The Bible tells us in Acts 10 and 38 how that God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with a holy ghosting with power, who went around doing good and healing all that was oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Jesus came to destroy. He was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And can I tell you, Jesus didn't just sit around talking about it. Jesus put action to what he said and he went out and he done it. Talk is cheap, but actions speak louder than words. And I'm here to tell you that it's time that we, the 21st century church, quit talking about what shall be and start making happen that which we believe is to come. It's time that we quit But talking about it, put legs to it and make it happen in the name of Jesus. Are you ready to be commissioned to the Lord here this morning? Because we're going to have a commission service here at the end of this service and we're going to lay hands on some people and we're going to believe that the anointing of the Holy Ghost is going to come upon our sons and our daughters and our young sons and daughters are going to rise up, they're going to prophesy and they're going to lead people to the Lord by the hundreds and by the thousands. I don't know if you've got that vision with me or not, but I'm here to tell you, I've seen a vision right out through that window of the multitudes that's coming to the past, up to the palace, and our associate pastor seen a vision of so many people in here that you couldn't even turn around. I'm here to tell you, harvest is at hand. I'm here to tell you that revival is at hand. I'm here to tell you that God is pouring out His Holy Spirit upon the church. Hallelujah! Oh, I think you can do better than that. Give Him praise. Stand to your feet and give Him praise. My goodness, believe it with me. Believe it with me. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Jesus was constantly on the move ministering to sinful humanity. Did you not know that? He was constantly on the move and he was preparing his disciples and the rest of the world for him dying upon the cross for the sins of humanity and he was also preparing them for his resurrection letting him know that I'm about to leave and I'm going to give you power and victory over the enemy. But now that Jesus began, the way that he set in motion his ministry is that Jesus began to go out and he began to heal people and cast out demons. There was action behind the words of Jesus Christ and we see that Simon Peter's own mother-in-law was healed of a fever prior to our text. And we can give you miracle after miracle after miracle that happened right prior to our reading here today. And we see the healings that occurred prior to the end of our text were in many cases immediate and they were complete. There was not a process. there, There was not events that had to take place in order for them to be healed there was in a few of them but most of the time when Jesus done the miracle he just done it instantaneously I'm ready for some instantaneous miracles by the hand of God in order to confirm to the sinner that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father do you believe that God's going to do that with me God's about to pour his spirit out upon the church the miracles and the healings caused the fame to go about who Jesus is there needs to be a fame in the land about who Jesus is amen and it is here on this premise and Jesus being in that area and there was an opportunity to be healed by him that we see four men bringing this paralyzed man to Jesus to be healed. And today I hope that we can learn from our text by the example of these four men of how to win the loss to Jesus Christ. Both Matthew and Mark include this story in their gospels as well, but Luke gives more detail about the story than any of the other writers. That's why I chose it as our text. But this morning as we look into the text, we see that there was a paralyzed man. He could not walk. The Bible says that he was taken with a palsy. He was paralyzed. He was bound to a bed. He was immobile. He was there and could not do anything about it. It is here that we see that four men begin to have compassion. Don't we need compassion back in the house of God? These four men had compassion. They took courage and they decided to take this man to Jesus. And let me stop right here and say this. that Folks, a lot of times we have compassion and we see things, but we don't want to involve ourselves because when in today's world when you involve yourselves you're opening yourself up to to legal problems and everything else but we cannot let fear dominate our lives we have to walk out our faith can I have an amen amen the goal of the church is not to become someone's savior, however, but to take them to the real savior, Jesus Christ. All too often, we enable people by trying to meet all of their needs, have all of their answers, and be their savior. I'd be the first to admit, even as a pastor, I don't have the answers to everything. I, don't have, I cannot meet everybody's need, but I want to tell you, I know a savior that can. And, but a lot of times we try to act like that we know more than what we know and we have more than what we have and the truth of the matter is it has caused too many people to look to the Christian and to the church for their survival instead of Jesus and this is called the church uh, this is because the church has failed in pointing them and discipling them and leading them to this man called Jesus Christ and this has caused their foundation that ha- those people that have come in to be the church instead of Jesus Christ who's to be the chief cornerstone and and then we find the church has become all about pampering sheep instead of pursuing the lost. And it's caused churches in America to become non-missional and it's become overwhelmed the church has due to it always trying to meet the needs of saints. When in reality Jesus is to be the shepherd of every single one of us after that we become saved. I tell you our root cannot be in a person. Our root cannot be in a denomination. Our root cannot be in a church. Our root and foundation has to be Jesus Christ, the great shepherd. Can I have an amen? This is why that Jesus said in Luke chapter five, verse 31 and 32, he said, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. He said, I came not to the righteous to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. Jesus did not come to minister to the righteous. He came to minister to the sinner. Hello? But in modern day times in the 21st century, they have took a survey that said that 95% of everything the church does is geared around ministering to themselves. And we have very little ministry outside of the church to the world. That it's all about taking care of one another, and we should. Now, there are things in Scripture that tell us to love one another, to bear one another's burdens, but as a whole, our mission is not here to pamper one another. Our mission is to win the loss for Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? There's a difference in making someone religious and making someone a true devout Christian. The ultimate goal of the church is to get them to the feet of Jesus. Hallelujah. We're not not here to promote ourselves, but we're out to promote Jesus Christ and his kingdom. Can I have an amen? We're not here to promote the church. We're out here to promote Jesus, lift him high. If Jesus be lifted high, guess what will happen? He'll draw all men unto him. Amen? Amen. We're not wanting people to be linked to us. If we are that's the wrong goal. We're wanting people to be linked to Jesus. A lot of times we think, well, the more following I get, the more prestigious I get, and the more powerful that I look, and the more anointed I look, and the more spiritual I look. I want to tell you, to be the truth, the more you get linked to yourself, you're causing yourself nothing but a lot of pain and problems. The truth of the matter is, we're not here to get people to be linked to us. We're here to get people linked to Jesus. Say, Jesus. He's the answer. Can I have an amen? This isn't about popularity, fame. It's not about big followings. Success isn't measured in the multitude. Success is measured in the message that we give. Amen? It isn't about big gatherings. It isn't about, it isn't about a mega church. It's about lost humanity. We have to keep this in the forefront of everything we do or it's nothing but vainglory. I want to tell you, if we're only winning souls in order to build a church, make ourselves look good, then it's vainglory. We're not here to build it for ourselves. We're here to build it for the kingdom of God, that God gets all the glory in what we do because it's his church, it's his body, and that we build this kingdom as a result of what God has done and not what we can do. Can I have an amen? I hope that we can learn by these four Uh, the hearts of these four men. And it doesn't say that there are four in Luke. But if you look in the Gospel of Mark, it tells us in Mark chapter 2, verse 3, that this man was born of four. So we know that there are four men carrying this man. And one of the things I think that's important, and I'm going to do a little teaching as well as preaching here this morning. One of the things I think is important, and that is that we have to unify in our purpose and our mission to win souls. We at the Palace of Praise, this is about soul winning, folks. This ain't about us right now. The more that we have on board, the more success that we're going to have as a body. If one can put a thousand to fly and two can put 10,000 to fly, what in the world can we do in this whole region of southeast Missouri in our state if we'll all unify together? Folks, we can win these counties around us. This church can win this county. It can win Wayne County. It can win Stoddard County. It can win Bollinger County. It can win them all. It can Clay County. It can win Ripley County. How many believe that with me? If one can put a 1,000 to flight, two can put 10,000, what can 700 to 800 to 1,000 of us do if we'll unify? Soul winning needs to be intentional. As a matter of fact, we can't just sit around and wait for it to happen, but we have to target and plan how to win people to Jesus Christ. We need to have a plan of action. We need to look at somebody and say, now how are we going to win that person to the Lord? We need to get a group together and say, okay, this man's our target. I want you to start praying over him. I want you to start visiting him. I want you to start giving him help and aid. I want you and just start targeting that man every which way that we can as a unified body in order to win that person to Jesus Christ. It would be a lot harder for one man to carry this man to Jesus, wouldn't it? But there were four men, and by the burden of four, it happened a lot easier and it happened a lot faster. There is strength within numbers, and if we can get us all on the same page, doing our job, the body fitly framed together, and doing our work and our call and our commission, some praying, some water, some sowing, some cultivating, I want to tell you, we will reap a harvest. Amen? Man, y'all were alive, dear, in worship. Wave at me and let me know you're alive out there. Amen? Bud's still back there hurting, but someone put their arm around Bud, please. But these men worked together and dared to unite in an effort to do something for this crippled man. They plotted, they planned, and they pursued. I like that. They had faith to believe that Jesus could, that Jesus would indeed meet his need. These men working together and reaching out and bringing this man to Jesus Christ could, could represent the church as she unites together to fulfill the great commission. We have to work together in various ministries and various callings in order to bring the laws to Jesus Christ. We all have to be a part of the working body of Christ. Did you know that when we have people show up in our church after evangelism has went out, our ushers need to be groomed, our our greeters need to be groomed, our altar workers need to be ready, our praise and worship team needs to be anointed. Every aspect of our church needs to be engaged and ready and anointed in order to be sharp enough to minister to the people that come in, that they might get saved and have an encounter with Jesus Christ. Amen? Number one, the first thing that we have to learn of these four men is to take the opportunity that is before us. You want to know how to win the loss? Take the opportunity that's before you. This man was crippled. He was paralyzed. The Bible says he had a palsy. And one of the things that we have to learn is the gateway to opportunity presents itself through need. Did you know needs open the gateway of opportunity? A need will open a door that nothing else can open. If you want to minister to a sinner and bring them to Jesus, look for their need. Look at the need in their life. It may be the death of a family. It may be a loss of job. It may be a sick spouse. It may be a troubled child. It may be financial trouble. It may not even be anything bad at all. It don't always have to be bad. It could be someone having the birth of a new child that changed their whole course of life. It could be an empty nest syndrome where there's parents at home and they're they're feeling depressed because all of their children are gone and they've never had that kind of experience. It could be a change of life, such moving into a different area or a different location. It could be society pressure. It could be family problems. It could be depression. It could be anxiety. It could be a number of different things. But if you want to win a sinner to the Lord, find a need in his life and then pursue it. Can I have an amen? The first thing that these men done was they seen a need and they responded. They took the opportunity. The first act of soul winning needs to be responding to sinners' needs. A response to a person's need will open a door to minister to them like nothing else. They will not open doors if there's not. I want to tell you, tragedy always brings a tenderness towards the presence of God. There's an old saying that there in foxholes, there is no atheist. Amen? They're atheists until trouble comes, and then all of a sudden they're calling out to the name of the Lord. As a matter of fact, this is what we've seen Jesus doing. What did Jesus do in his ministry? He just went around responding to needs. That's what Jesus did. And we have to learn and to be smart like Jesus and use need as a door of opportunity. We have to see a need and then respond to it and feel it. Take an opportunity of that need. Have you ever seen the political arena? The political arena, I want to tell you, they take the opportunity of need. Every time that there's a shooting, every time there's a tragedy, they take that need in order to build a case for you to, for you to vote for them. Amen? Amen the same way it is in the spiritual realm. When you see a sinner having a need, the first thing in order to be able to win that person to Christ is you got to be able to find out, he's got to find out that you have enough care for him to care in what he's going through. Can I have an amen? The second thing these four guys done was they started a transition. Are you ready to start a transition? How many believes in transitioning? How many believe in transitioning? Amen, I'm hearing a few out there. They begin to move him out of his present situation. Can I tell you they begin to set and create a different atmosphere for him? You know, one of the most powerful things in a church, or the most negative thing as a church, is the power of atmosphere. Amen. How many knows that God does nothing outside of expectancy? Outside of faith. How many knows that there's many miracles that Jesus did? that he had to clear rooms in order to create an atmosphere that was conducive to the miracle. Come on, somebody help me preach here. Jesus had to get people out of the house to raise the little girl from the dead, amen? He had to get rid of doubt, he had to get rid of, and let me tell you, when we come to the palace of praise, this place needs to be electrified with expectancy. Are you ready for some expectancy here today? I'm not just preaching a good sermon. I'm preaching to you that God is getting involved and God's ready and God's on the move. I'm telling you, God stood up off the throne. He's ready for a revival throughout this land like you have never seen before and the church has to have a holy ambition and an expectancy for it to happen. Amen. We've got to create an atmosphere for sinners, the breeding grounds for miracles we got to create that as the body of Christ. They looked at him and they seen that he was in a desperate dire strait and they begin to transition him out of where he was. They begin to move him to where he could have something to actually believe in. Can I tell you, they begin to carry him out of where he was and start taking him where he needed to be. Amen. And it's almost impossible for a person to respond to the hope of Christ in hopeless situations. Amen. So many times we cannot see past our present environment. Our present circumstances can cloud our future possibilities. Our surroundings can imprison us to our own doubts and our own fears. We can't see past a lot of times of where we're at folks, because where we're at dictates to us of what we'll be. And we have to realize that this man cannot get there on his own due to his own paralysis. Sin paralyzed people cannot and will not come to Christ alone on their own. They have to have help from us as Christians, as believers. We as Christians have to be committed to bring sinners to Jesus Christ, you know why? Because unbelievers do not have the ability in themselves to come to the Lord due to the depravity of their own sinful nature. They cannot do it. These men begin to bear up this crippled man and start moving him and carrying him out of his present situation. Now carrying in scripture denotes something. It denotes sacrifice, burden, work. It, 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 it denotes uh, uh, inconvenience. When they carried the Ark of the Covenant, they had to carry the presence of God, did they not? And they had to carry it a certain way. And if they didn't carry it a certain way, they were struck dead. There was a burden in par- carrying the presence of God. And for you to carry the presence of God in your life and make it conducive to where someone can see it, it's a burden. It's a work. It's a sacrifice. The illuminating light that lies within us is not easily projected. It's more than us just saying, hey, I'm a Christian. It's being a Christian in action and in deed, not only in word. Jesus was not only a, a, a man of God by his teaching and by his words, but he was a man of God by his action. Hello? And can I tell you that you and I not can only be hearers and teachers of the word, we gotta be doers of the word. We gotta walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. That you and I have got to come to the place to say, I've heard it for 30 years, I've taught it for 30 years, I've believed it for 30 years, now it's time to me to put to action what I've learned. It's time to me to put some legs to my faith. But carrying denotes and it's symbolic a prayer. In scripture, we have to learn how to bear up on our shoulders the burdens of others by prayer. And let me tell you, that's sacrifice. That's hard work. And it's inconvenient. Can I tell you, prayer is one of the hardest things that you'll ever do, but it's one of the most rewarding and the most important thing that you'll ever do. Prayer has to proceed. It has to be the forerunner that prepares the way to so winning. Prayer is what causes movement. Oh, get ready. Intercessory supplication, petitioning prayer is powerful. Ask, you'll receive. Seek, you'll find. Knock, and it shall be open to you. For everyone, everyone that asketh, they receiveth. To he that seeketh, he finds. To him that knocketh, it shall be open to him. You have not because you ask not. Amen? There is power in this thing called intercessory. And when I begin to look at somebody and say, hey, they're dead, they're lost, they're in sin, now how am I going to win? The first thing that God will commission me to do is number one, not only see the need and fill it, but to pray over that man. Start carrying that man's burden. Start getting him into a place that he can believe by lifting the load of him, by rebuking and binding and loosing. Whatsoever we shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever we shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And when we see those demonic forces that hold that man captive, I bind that spirit in the name of Jesus that's upon Joe, God, that is controlling his family. I bind that spirit of addiction, of drugs, or of alcohol, or pornography. I bind that spirit of laziness, whatever it is. And you begin to intercede, and you begin to pray. All of a sudden, divine movement begins to take place in that person's life. And all of a sudden, for the first time, Joe begins to see a ray of hope within his life. Because the power of prayer. Can I have an amen? Prayer is what caused the movement. Prayer could, can, did you know prayer can do whatever God can do? Because prayer is what moves the arm of God. Did you hear that? Prayer can do anything that God can do. Because it is prayer that moves the hand of God. You know, prayer drives back the forces of the enemy that holds, that holds the, the, the sinner, uh, sinner captive. And let me tell you, Prayer can change the atmosphere to where the sinner can receive a ray of hope. Prayer invokes the name of God and it causes God to get involved with his presence. And if you're gonna be so winning, you better have the presence of God upon you. There is power in the name of Jesus. I said there's power in the name of Jesus. There's power, wonderful working power in the name of Jesus. In my name you shall cast out devils. In my name you shall take up serpents. In my name if you drink any deadly thing it shall not hurt you. In my name you shall speak with other tongues. In my name you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. There's power in the name of Jesus. And one of the most Timid things that we have going on in the body of Christ is the fear and the intimidation to mention the name of Jesus. And it's the only hope whereby men can be saved. That's the answer to the world. I don't care what Hollywood's saying. I don't care what the political correct side's saying. I don't care what the four left or the four extremes are saying. I'm here to tell you, invoke the name of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Hallelujah. That's what our children need to hear, the name of Jesus. Nothing will be accomplished unless it's accomplished with the presence of God. Our works, our ability, our passion, our talents within itself will not suffice. We have to have God's anointing and God's presence in this thing called soul winning. We have to have prayer uh, prayer covering. You know, the Bible even says in verse 18 that the men sought means to how to bring him in. You know what? The first thing that you and I have to do after we see the need, we gotta pray, how can I respond to this need? We gotta ask God, God lead me, God guide me, God direct me, God anoint me, God cover me, protect me. Can I have an amen? Let me not say the wrong things. Let me say the right thing. There has to be a prayer covering, amen? Jesus done nothing. As a man. How many knows that Jesus had dual natures? He was the son of man and he was the son of God at the very same time. But how many knows that everything Jesus done on earth, he done as the son of man, not as the son of God? He did not pull from his divine nature in order to heal and to do all that. He submitted to the Father through his flesh and he done it as a man. And everything that Jesus done before he done anything, he went out into a secluded place and he prayed. And his prayer life was what gave him the ability, as a man, to function in the spirit to bring about the will of the Father. And that's the same way it is with us. Now, the third thing that we see is that in the scripture is, be ready for some roadblocks and some hindrances. How many's ready to win souls? Raise your hand. Then get ready for some roadblocks. And some, I'm not here to paint you a pretty picture. As they carried this man, they get him close to where Jesus was. And even though the atmosphere had changed and there's light at the end of the tunnel, I want to tell you something. Hope had begun to build up in this man. He's leaving the place where he's always been. He's got men that are concerned about him. They're carrying him up. They're showing him acts of love. And they're carrying him to where Jesus is at. And when they get there, all hope that has been built is hindered. Because the Bible tells us in verse, I think it's verse 19, and when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because there was a multitude of people that stood in the way. There were so many people that were in the house to get close to Jesus that the sinner could not get to him. Now, I'm not going to browbeat this very long because I don't want to be negative here. But in a lot of churches, there's a lot of sinners that can't get to the feet of Jesus because you got too many Christians that's bound the feet of Jesus and standing in their way. Because the church, a lot of times in America, is all about ourselves and we could care less about those that are really in need of the Lord. God help us, forgive us. But this man, because of hindrance, could not get to where Jesus was at. There was a multitude of people in the way that stood between him and his healing. And even though they bore this burden of the day by carrying this man to the place of presence, they're right at the threshold of God's presence, yet there was a hindrance. And there's been times here even at the palace that we've been right at the threshold of revival And then hindrance come, roadblocks come, demonic show up, enemy moves in. It distracts us, catches us off guard. We're not prepared, and we fall back instead of being aggressive and saying, "I'm not going to be moved." I like that old song in the red hymn that we used to sing at Dudley all the time: "I shall not be, I shall not be moved." I shall not be, I shall not be moved just like a tree that's planted by the waters. I shall not be, being that anointed. Amen. If I keep that up, the hog and the pig's gonna show up at my door. But the truth of the matter is, there comes a time when the Christian has to plant his feet. He has to get determined and mad at the enemy and say, Buddy, I have come this way too many times, got right at the threshold of my promise, got right at the threshold of Canaan, but I've been cheated out of it. But this time I'm not going to be cheated. There has to be a holy ambition that rises up in the church. There has to be this war mentality, a warrior mentality. I'm ready to war. Can I have an amen? Amen. Even though you pay a price in prayer, there comes a time when you have to put legs to your faith and you have to go to the extra mile. People can be born on the shoulders of people in prayer into a place of presence, but you have to realize there's gonna be a fight, there's gonna be a struggle, there's gonna be conflict in trying to get that person to the very feet of Jesus. The enemy isn't just gonna allow us to have access to God's presence without a war, without a fight, and just because you were hindered in your attempt the first time does not mean that your attempt cannot be successful. We give up way too soon, amen? Amen. I was watching Bonanza the other day and Hoss Cartwright got in a fight with a guy and this guy was just beating the snot out of him. And his dad, Hoss, that's enough. He said, I ain't gave up yet, dad. And finally his brother said, quit trying to fight him and rassle him and Hoss grabbed him and squeezed him and all of a sudden the guy passed out and the Hoss won the battle. But it wasn't until after a great fight. And let me tell you something, folks. Soul winning can be so uncomfortable at times that if you're not careful, you'll abort your promise before you ever bring it into, in permission. You have to realize there's going to be a fight. There's going to be struggle. The enemy is not going to allow us to get in the presence of God so easily. And we have to look at soul winning as a series of events instead of a one-time contact or a one-time event. Say this with me. Soul winning is a process. Not a single act. When you fail, folks, try, try again. Amen? When you're pushed back, just get more aggressive. Amen. The only loser is the quitter. That's why the Bible says in Galatians 6 and 9, be not weary in well-doing. You shall say shall. Yeah. Reap if you faith not. You believe that? How many believe that God rewards faith? Yeah. How many believe without faith is impossible to please God? He that cometh to God must believe that he is. He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He rewards faith. Yeah. Faith sticks in the ground. Faith says, I'm not moved, I'm not moving. Amen. Very little people are saved at the first confrontation with the Holy Spirit and with the presence of God. Sometimes it takes days, weeks, months, sometimes even cases years, not always. But these men had tenacity. They were determined, they were persistent, and they continued on even in the, in the face of what looked like defeat. These men had courage. Are you ready to be courageous? And they were set, I like that word set, they were set, their minds were set like a flint because they knew that the only hope for this man was to bring him to Jesus. And we as a church of the living God have to have that same kind of determination. We must have the passion to see through our desire for the lost to be won. There is no room for a boarding promise. There's no room for retreat because souls are at stake. Folks, if sinners do not have us, they have by no means in order to be saved. The Bible tells us we're the salt, we're the light. How can they hear without a preacher? Amen? We have to remember that these people cannot get to Jesus on their own due to their own sinful paralysis. These tenacious men refused to back up by a set of circumstances. They looked at hindrance as nothing, oh, no, it's just a hurdle. They looked at robots, well, there's gotta be a bypass around it somewhere. They believed wherever there was a desire, there's a way. Wherever there's a desire, there's a way. If God placed this desire in me, there's a way. And let me tell you, Jesus is that way. Every person on the face of the earth can be saved. No matter who it is. They believed whenever there's a desire that there was a way. What caused these men to be so tenacious? What caused them to be so committed? These men were committed because of their faith. They believed. I have found out that a person will not persevere and remain steadfast in their goal or their vision if he doesn't believe in a total resolve of him being able to fulfill and accomplish that which he set out to do. If you really don't believe that you can achieve it, you won't stay in it very long. I'm here to tell you that they believed that Jesus would save and heal this man, and they were the ones that had the, the, the determination to get him to the feet of Jesus. Look at verse 17. It says, And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which would come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and the power and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. This is why that there were multitudes there because they believed that Jesus would heal them. And one of the biggest strongholds that we have to overcoming is our own doubt and God's ability to save the lost that we're trying to win. How many of us really believe? I want to tell you, I have found out when you begin to get close to some people, you begin to know their lives and all that they've done. You look back and you know their private lives and you know their personal thoughts because maybe they're your family and you've seen the patterns and the routines and the, and the habits of their lives. You've seen the depravity of their own sinful nature. You've seen how they burnt bridges. You've seen how they used people, how they connived to get what they wanted. And you look at them and you think all of a sudden you're sitting there thinking, you know, God can save everybody, but I don't think he can be saved. I'm here to tell you that God's want me to tell you everybody can be saved. That spouse that you've lived with for 30 years and there's no light at all in him being saved, I want to tell you, I'm here to believe with you he's going to be or she's going to be saved. I believe that. God will make a way. God will get their attention if we'll get steadfast on trying to win them to Jesus Christ. When we see all their past history, sometimes we look at an individual and we look at them, how rough they are. You know what I have found out? The rougher they are, the easier it is to get to save. The ones that's hard to get to save is the moral person that thinks they've done nothing wrong. But down deep inside of those rough people, they know they're lost. They have a heart that is there, but they're prideful and they don't want to show it. And you've got to chisel at that heart, meeting need. We sometimes balk and hesitate and even doubt that God will even save the people so we back up and we forget it and we abort our promise. You know what the Bible says in Hebrews 7.25? Wherefore he, talking about Jesus, is able to save them to the uttermost that come to God, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercessory for us. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, our great intercessor, who is seated at the right hand of the Father to intercede for us, is able to save to the uttermost because he's even interceding for them. He's praying over them, even as you pray and petition. Let me say this, and let me say it loud. God can, God will save anybody at any time because it's his will. Amen? Whosoever will, let him come unto me. I want to know why. Hitler could have been saved. Amen? Amen? Some of you quenched on that one. Most of us believe that people can be saved, but do we really believe they will be saved? Because if we believe that God can, but he won't, we won't stay in this race very long in order to see it through. We have to believe that God will, that God cares about our loved ones as much as we do. Amen? And even though these men get him at the door of presence by carrying him by prayer, yet there came a time when they had to put some feet to their prayers. There are times when action is required to prove that you believe in what you have been praying for. Faith is dead without works. Faith is dead being alone. True faith activates what is believed. It puts it into action. If you believe it enough, you will not only pray about something, you'll get a plan of action and start pursuing it. Amen? I'm glad we've been praying for three or four years on Wednesday nights. We got a four year prayer covering over this congregation. But now it's time to say, let's put some legs to what our prayers are doing. Let's get out there in the field. Have you ever noticed as a believer that when the Lord teaches you something from his word, then the next thing you know, he asks you to act upon that which you've been taught? Uh, You know, I hate to preach some messages. I'm being honest. I preach a message and the next week I have to do what the message says. And I don't like it. I'd rather for you to do it. Amen? Well, it's good for the goose, good for the gander, huh? If the leader does not do what he preaches, then he's wasting his time preaching it. And there's times when I preach something that's very hard or very difficult, and the next week I am challenged with that very thing. This is what happened to these guys. These guys refused to let difficulty rob them of the reward of their efforts to get this man to Jesus Christ. They refused to be denied. These men worked together to bring this man to Jesus to be saved and healed by him. We have to follow through. We cannot stop too soon. Now let me say this. This week I had to put into practice the very thing that the Lord had placed upon my heart for this church. I was on vacation of all times. Gone for 4 days at a car show in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee called the Rod Run. And man, was I overwhelmed at what I seen. I was in heaven. Whom, whom, whom. Ah. I mean, literally heaven. I get there, and there wasn't 100 cars. There wasn't 500 cars. There wasn't a thousand cars. There were thousands and thousands of cars, miles of cars. And when I drove in on Tuesday, inch by inch by inch, to go five miles is about two and two and a half hours sometimes. It's crazy. Cars everywhere. I was drooling. Come on. I was having the time of my life. Jimmy Isom was sitting in there with me, and me and Jimmy were on the road to heaven one day. We're on the strip, and we're inching about, you know, maybe less than a half a mile an hour, Just, just, and there's cars just lined up on both sides of the road for five solid miles, as far as you can see. And me and Jimmy Isom, we're drooling, we're talking. Whoa, look at that When We'd pull over, and we'd look at it, and we'd get back in line. And we were having the time of our life when all of a sudden my phone rang and an interruption came. Ken, I need you to come over here to the store and try these clothes on. <laughs> I'm able to tell this story because my wife's home with my sick mother this morning. <laughs> and needless to say, I was not a happy camper. Uh, guy, it ain't a guy thing to go try on clothes. Just buy the clothes if they don't fit. We'll t- no. You need to come over to the store. Where's the store? It's way off. In the, we got to get off the beaten path, find somebody to get around the traffic, and get over there to try on clothes when I am on the highway of heaven. <laughs> Ken, I really need you to do this, and just on and on, and finally to be a good husband. I leave the highway of heaven and go to the opposite of what you would call the highway of heaven. You figure that one out for yourself. And I'm on these back roads, and we finally pull into this parking lot of this series of stores. I don't know what you would call them. And I I finally find out which store she's in, and I walk in. She's back in the back. Try this on. And, you know, as thin as I am, that coat just wouldn't fit me. And I took it off. That don't work. No, oh, no, we got plenty. Just, well, I'm there for, I don't know how long. And not one coat fit me good. Not one pair of pants. It just, it was a place that was made for somebody bigger than I. Because I'm so thin and slim. <laughs> and finally I said, am I free to go? No. I said, look, Highway of Heaven's calling me. You took me off the Highway of Heaven. I'm thinking this in my mind. I'm not saying that to her. I'm smarter than what you think I am. <laughs> Amen. And all of a sudden, she says, come out here. And she looks over and look, there's a thin and slim store right here. We got to go in that store. Now, you know that ain't the name of the store, don't you? <laughs> but we go into the store. And we go back and there's these coats that are made from men like me. Try this one on. I'm sitting there thinking, Jimmy, come on, man. I'm I'm just really trying to be really nice and sweet here. But honestly, it's inconvenient. I don't like it. I feel like Bud Middleton right now. (laughs) And they put the coat on, and we finally find some that fits me. I said, am I free? Yeah, yeah. And so this little girl comes back to help us. And when she did, my eyes laid on her, and I thought, oh. Immediately, I knew why I was there. Immediately, I knew I was to talk to her about Jesus Christ and I started praying, God, give me an open door. Give me a door of opportunity. Because number one, one of the most silly things to do, guys, is walk into a hospital room with 30 people around a man's bed, and all of them are saying, lead him to the Lord, lead him to the Lord. You know what you need to do? Get everybody out. you got to have a door of opportunity. you got to use wisdom. Don't embarrass the man or the woman. Have a door of opportunity. There's times to minister with the gospel, and there's times that you got to have Wisdom. Amen? And here I am thinking, I got to have wisdom. I got to have a door of opportunity. I'm praying for the atmosphere to change. I am praying, how can I get to a place where there's an opportunity to share what's on my heart? And so I have to stay in the store a little longer than what I desire. Heaven's calling me, but I'm inconvenienced because now this has become more about clothing, it's become missional. And folks, I'm on vacation. And I'm wanting to get away from ministry and here I am finding myself right in the middle of ministry and having to hang out in a store in a men's clothing store on vacation when high rods are everywhere. I'm going nuts. (laughs) And I'm sitting there, but I knew and I'm feeling guilty because I fought my wife and all along God had my steps ordained of him to be able to minister to one person. And I waited and I prayed and finally I went up to check out and when I did, the store emptied immediately. Boom. And the door of opportunity came. And I opened up just by this. Man, how in the world do you put up with this traffic around here? And she said, oh, I don't live here anymore. I used to live here, but me and my boyfriend moved in together uh, in a little town 60 miles from here, or 70 miles from here. And I work at the sister store of this, uh, of, this, of this store. And because of all of the traffic and the tourists of this ride run, they wanted me to come up and help out in this store for the next couple of days. So I'm up here for a couple of days. I said, oh, I see. And she told me where they lived and all that kind of stuff. And all of a sudden, I looked at her and said, "Hun, i I'm not here to embarrass you, but I want to tell you something. The Holy Spirit has laid you on my heart so heavily. And I want you to know that God's got one of the most wonderful plans for your life that you could ever even dream of. And I began to say, the things that God's got prepared for you cannot even be compared to where you're at right now. And I just started ministering to her like that. And I said that God's got this purpose, and I said it's wonderful. It's a great plan. And I said, well, and I and I, I didn't say, oh, you're living with your boyfriend. You need to move out. And you, I didn't get into all of that. I'm talking to her about God's plan and God's delight and God's love for her life. Her eyes got that big around and tears just started strolling. She grabbed a hold of me, and we got to. I got to minister to her. For I don't know how long, right there. And all of a sudden. I said, "Will you do me a favor? I said, God's got this wonderful plan for your life, but you're not sensitive to it right now. You don't see the fullness of it. And I said, you're going to have to become sensitive to God. Would you get your boyfriend, and would you find you a good church down there? And would you start going to church and start listening and following the plan of God for the two of your lives? And if you'll follow that plan, I promise you that this thing that God's got in store for your life will come to pass. And she bawled, and she squalled, and she looked at me, and she said... My boyfriend's dad's a pastor of a church down there. And it was there that I left later on. Her hugging me, holding me, wouldn't let me go hardly. And I want to show you how this thing works. Here's a boy living with his girlfriend who happens to be a preacher's son. And there's a preacher somewhere 560 miles away from here praying for that boy, praying for that girl. Falling on their face, God, somehow save them. And a man 500 and some odd miles away walks into a store and the Holy Spirit lays it on his heart to talk to that girl. That's how much God loves us. And it was there that I planted. I did not reap right then, but I suspect that she went home and she said, me and you are start going We're going to go to church. And the wheels are set in motion. And God has sent a preacher 500 miles away to a woman that he didn't know read her mail, told her some private things that the Lord revealed to me, and she sat there bawling and squalling and hanging on to me. And it was there that I know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ is in pursuit of a sinner and he allowed me to be a part of reaping that someday. I believe, I believe this with all my heart. I believe one of these days in heaven, there's going to be an old man walk up to me and say, you don't know me, but I want to tell you something. You prayed for my daughter-in-law who got married to my boy who were living in sin that I had been and you witnessed to them at a place called Pigeon Forge. And then I'm going to look around, and there they're going to be, saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen, I believe that. But notice, and then I'll, notice and I'll shut up. I got to hurry. I got two more points, but I'm not going to give them. Notice this, that you have to uplift a person before you abase them. They bring them there, the multitude's in the way. What did they do? They took him up, lifted him up, and put him up on the rooftop and let me tell you something, a basement is very important in this thing when it sows. There comes a time, folks, that you have to deal with the sin issue in their life. There comes a time that you have to present their need of being saved. And the only way they can do that is to let, begin to finally say, You're a sinner. You need to be saved. You were born into sin. But before you start abasing them, revealing them sin, giving them the knowledge to where they can repent, the first thing you got to do is you got to uplift them before you abase them. You don't have the right to speak to them about their sin until you show them how much you care. They lifted him up, that denotes good works. A loving expressions, kindness, generosity, acts, of, acts of, uh, of gifts and blessings and prayers and visits and, and showering them with love and meeting their needs. Amen? And it was there that they uplifted him and then it was there that they abased him by putting him at the feet of Jesus. And when he hit the floor, it was no longer the responsibility of them for men. He stood before Jesus alone and they were out of the equation. And there comes a time you're out of the equation and it's between them and Jesus. And before he even hit the floor, Jesus says, thy sins be forgiven thee. What? The Pharisee says, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? He said, well, is it easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee or to take up your bed and walk? He said, I say unto the sick and the palsy, rise up, take your couch, go into thy house. And the Bible says, and immediately, he took up his couch and went down the aisle, glorifying God. You know why Jesus done that? Because he showed the Pharisees, not only did he have the power to forgive sins, or heal, but he had the power to forgive sins as well. He is Savior, folks. And there's none like in him. He can save to the uttermost. And then the next verse says, that they all are amazed and fear came upon them and they said, we have seen strange things today. And this is what I want to tell you. This is what God's laid in my heart. Some of you are going to go out and you're going to fight and you're going to fight and you're going to fight. It's going to be days and weeks and months to get someone saved. And when they're finally saved, the miraculous testimony of that individual then might turn around and win a city or a community within a matter of a day because of the great testimony. Wow, did you hear about the drunk Joe got saved? And all of a sudden, it changes the lives of everybody around them. Hallelujah, would you stand with me? Hallelujah, Father, we praise you. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to be dismissing you in a matter of prayer commission I was going to have everybody come up. We are going to lay hands on as many as we can, but I want you to do th- two things for me right now. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think of two or three people that you know that's been on your heart that you want to see saved. Take two or three because you've got to pursue more than just one. You've got to have a network of people that you're reaching out to. Think of two or three people that you want to see saved. Then I want you to commit yourself to prayer over that person for a season. And Then I want you to move it out of prayer and get you a a group of people, get a plan of action, and begin to then seek means by which that person can be saved by your ministry. Everybody's want to know, well, what does God want me to do? Does he want me to be an altar worker? Does he want me to be a teacher? Does he want me to be a bus driver? Does he want me to be in children's church? All those things are secondary to the Great Commission. Everybody's called to win souls. That's something God's called all of us to do. And now I'm going to pray a prayer of commission over you. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, I pray a prayer of commission over this body. Lord, I right now begin to charge the body of Christ at palace of praise, to understand that, that, that the call that is at hand, that the time that we're living in. Father, the harvest is ripe. It's ready to be harvested, but there's not enough laborers. I'm not concerned right now, Father, about what the other body of Christ are doing around this town. But I commission this body by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I give them a charge to go out and to preach the gospel to every creature. Laying hands on them and seeing miracles and seeing the results that you've seen. And that let the miracles testify of who we are. And let us meet the needs of people and love them with loving kindness. And let us lift them up to where we have the right to lower them and abase them and tell them the real root of their problem, which is sin to whereby they might be saved. And let us have, God, your blessing and your favor and your anointing in the name of Jesus. Pilots of praise, go to the north, go to the south, go to the east, go to the west. Go to all the counties around about. Tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And may God be with you. May God anoint you. May God use you. And may you be determined and let you not stop until you see the results that you desire in Jesus' name. God bless you. Shake hands with somebody. Tell them you're glad to have them in the house of the Lord this morning.